Well, I love stories. I don't know about you, but I, I just love a good story, whether it's a book or a movie, uh, but I especially love stories. I love true stories. And when you think about it, um, stories have a way of moving us, of really capturing our hearts and our affections, our emotions uh, in very unique ways. And that's why the Bible is truly filled with, with stories. They're true stories, but they're stories. And even last week we saw in Genesis 1 and Genesis chapter 11 really the story of how it all began. We saw the story of how God created all things and how he took the formless and void and he brought form and structure, he brought substance. And then we saw the story of how God created man and woman in his image as his image and how we uh, get to participate in his story and we get to rule over the creation that he has made and we get to bear his image and reflect his glory, and that's why we're here. We saw that story last week, but also we saw the story in Genesis chapter 11 of how mankind came together, and instead of glorifying God, instead of bearing his image, we tried to create a name for ourselves, and we tried to turn all the focus, all the attention on what we were doing, and really this story of mankind has been repeated over and over and over again since Genesis chapter 11. Uh, now, if you were to continue reading in the book of Genesis, we come to another story in Genesis chapter 12. We see how God uh, begins his plan with the nation of Israel through one man, Abram, or Abraham, and how God really wrote this story from eternity past of raising up a nation, a nation called Israel that would bear his image to the Gentile nations. But the story of the Old Testament is really the story of Israel's failure, how they didn't live up to their created purpose as a nation. And that brings us then to the New Testament. In the New Testament, we see that although God is not done with the nation of Israel, he now brings forth his plan, his eternal plan of raising up the church. And the story of the church, as we read the New Testament, is to bear God's image, to reflect his glory, to go out into all of creation to the ends of the earth and proclaim uh, the good news of the ultimate image bearer, uh, the person of Jesus. And this brings us to this idea of engage. As we think about the mission of the church is we come together and we get equipped with God's word so we go out and engage people with the goodness of God and then we come together and exalt God for who he is and what he's doing. And this series, we're focusing in on that middle idea of engaging. Uh, by the way, I do want to say, I had somebody in first service come to me uh, and say, I noticed that the title of your sermon is How to Engage, and they were hoping that this was how to get married, right? Um, I can't help you there, uh, but I can help you in what it is to engage with one another here in the household of faith, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, because before we can really uh, go out into the world, we know that we're going to get beat up in the world, that the world is hostile, uh, that as we engage with unbelievers, that we're going to get discouraged because the world is, is discouraging. So we're going to begin really by talking about this idea of engaging with one another. Because as we go out into the world, like I said, it's going to be challenging. We're going to face obstacles and uh, there's going to be hurdles we have to jump over. And it's going to be really easy to get discouraged as we engage people in the world with the goodness of the gospel. And the only way we can keep at it, to keep plugging away at this 
mission of engaging is if we also engage with one another. And it's to that idea that I want you to turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 really lays out, I think, how we engage one another in the household of faith. And there on your outline, you can see that I'm going to mention three things, three ways we engage with one another in the household of the faith. Number one is bearing with one another. Number two, sharing with one another. Number three, caring with one another. Bearing, sharing, and caring. Don't you love how Paul just lines it out all perfectly like that every time? Every time. Um, All right, let's look at number one on your outline. How we engage with one another in the household of faith, number one, is by bearing with one another. Let me read for you Galatians 6, 1 through 5. Paul says, brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. So here Paul tells us what it is to bear with one another here in the body of Christ. And in these verses he's highlighting two Uh, different circumstances. The first is bearing with a Christian who is in sin. That's verse one. And then we're gonna talk about bearing with one another in terms of bearing one another's struggles and challenges or bearing one another's burdens. That's verses two through five. But first, let's look at verse one. Bearing with one another here, uh, specifically with a sinning brother or sister. Again, notice verse one. Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Um, Now, as we look here in verse one, there's something real important that we need to understand. And I'm gonna quote here one of my uh, professors from DTS. He used to say, listen, I have a degree from Dallas Seminary, which means that I know many wise things. And one of the things I know is that Galatians chapter six follows Galatians chapter five, right? I don't know if you knew this. This is the sort of thing they teach you in seminary. Galatians chapter six follows Galatians chapter five, right? And so in Galatians chapter five, Paul lays out this incredible concept of the fruit of the spirit and the lust of the flesh. And we as believers, as spirit-filled Christians, are to live out the fruit of the spirit, not the lust of the flesh. And it's really with that idea in the background that Paul says here in chapter 6, verse 1, because Galatians 6 follows Galatians 5, he says, you who are spiritual, right? So you who are spiritual, you Christians who are living out the fruit of the spirit, not the lust of the flesh, this is who Paul's talking to. And notice he says, even if anyone is caught in any trespass. If anyone is caught in any trespass, no exceptions. If anyone among you is caught in any trespass or sin, 
then you who are spiritual, you Christian who are living out the fruit of the Spirit, what you're to do is to restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. And this is a crucial concept for us in the body of Christ, that every single one of us in this room, myself included, every single one of us, uh, we continue to struggle with the, the lust of the flesh, right? But here in the body of Christ, what Paul is laying out is that the spirit-filled Christians, those who are walking out the fruit of the spirit, were to restore one another in a spirit of gentleness. The word for restore there, by the way, it's used uh, to describe the mending of nets, the mending of fishing nets. It's also used to describe uh, the, the um, setting of a broken bone. The setting of a broken bone. And when we encounter one another in the body of Christ, we're gonna inevitably see sin in one another's life. And Paul says, listen, you who are spiritual, if you're walking by the Spirit, if you're living out the fruit of the Spirit, your job, what I'm commanding you to do, Paul says, is to restore, to set that bone back in your sinning brother or sister. It's an incredible challenge and opportunity. But notice Paul says, he tells us how to do it. He says, notice, I want you to restore such a one, verse one, in a spirit of gentleness. In a spirit of gentleness, not a spirit of judgment. Reminds me of, you know, Jesus' words in Matthew chapter seven. First, we have to remove the log of our, from our own eye before we point out the speck in our brother's eye. That confronting one another is to be done in a spirit of gentleness. It's a delicate matter. We're also to do it with humility, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted, recognizing that we're all sinners, we all have our issues. We're to restore one another with gentleness and with humility. Again, this is really hard, I'll be honest with you. Um, as a pastor, this is really hard, and I can't tell you the number of times I've tried this and it doesn't go well, <laughs> right? Um, I wish I knew more. I wish Paul laid out a little more of exactly uh, what to do here because typically uh, any of us, whenever we get confronted, even with well-intentioned people, well-intentioned brothers and sisters, we get confronted in the reality of our sin, our defenses immediately go up, right? Um, I've seen this, unfortunately, um, not work over and over and over again, but I've also seen it work. I'm sure each and every one of you, you have a story where somebody you love, somebody you trust came to you and, and said, hey, listen, I, can we talk about something? Um, and as hard as it is, it's often agonizing, again, like setting a broken bone. It's ultimately done uh, for the good of our brother, for the good of our sister, and ultimately good for the body of Christ. This is one of the ways that we bear with one another. Starting in verse two, Paul broadens it a little bit, this idea of bearing with one another. He talks about bearing one another's burdens. And it's possible that the word for burdens here really carries forward that idea specifically of sin. Uh, but it's also possible that Paul's broadening it a little bit to describe really any struggle, any challenge that we wrestle with in the Christian life. But let me read for you verses two through five. Paul says, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Notice again this idea of humility. 
but each one must examine his own work and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself and not in regard to another for each one will bear his own load. Now again, a lot of commentators say that uh, Paul's simply carrying forward this idea of bearing one another in terms of sin. Um, But I think more broadly, Paul is getting at bearing one another's burdens in the sense of whatever challenges, whether they're directly related to sin or not, we all have different challenges, different concerns, different burdens that we bear. Every one of us, when we came in here this morning, uh, we have different things weighing us down. And one of the ways that we engage with one another in the household of the faith is by, like Paul says here, by bearing one another's burdens. Paul says that if we bear one another's burdens, notice verse two, thereby you fulfill the law of Christ. I'm gonna come back to this idea later, but the law of Christ really refers to everything that Jesus taught in his ministry, but I think specifically his command when he was asked, or his answer when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And one of the ways that we love our neighbor as ourself is by bearing one another's burdens. Again, I'll come back to this idea of love later. But uh, pastorally, um, I've heard it said by some preacher, and we just steal from one another, that burdens can't be bared unless they're shared, right? Uh, Burdens can't be bared unless they're shared. But so often in the church, we, uh, we don't disclose what we're struggling with whether it's sin or just everyday challenges of life because we we try to put on a happy face and pretend like everything's okay. But uh, truly, in order to fulfill what Paul's saying here, uh, we have to be honest with one another when we're struggling, what we're being tempted with, uh, what challenges we're facing. And in doing so, we can help one another out, bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ, like Paul says here. Notice, by the way, verse five, Uh, Paul says, for each one will bear his own load. So verse two, he says, bear one another's burdens. Verse five, he says, each one will bear his own load. So which is it, Paul? Are we to bear one another's burdens or are we to bear our own load? And the answer is both. And uh, there's two different words that Paul is using here. The word in verse two really describes a burden that's too much to carry. Um, extremely heavy or weighty burden that we cannot carry by ourselves. But verse five, it's a different Greek word that describes a a smaller weight, something you can manage on your own. And really we see here in these two different words, two great principles of the Christian life of sanctification, that on the one hand, there are certain things we can't do by ourselves and we have to, uh, in humility, admit that we need help. But on the other hand, and with the word in verse five, we see the reminder that ultimately um, we're not entitled and we have to take responsibility for ourselves. We can't blame other people. And again, that's what Paul is really getting at in the verses in between about uh, not thinking you're something when you're nothing and deceiving yourself and examining your own work. There are certain burdens Uh, that we share with one another. I can't get through this by myself. There are other things we simply just have to take personal responsibility for. Um, But again, I love good stories. Stories illustrate um, 
what's often said just kind of in black and white. And, and one of the great illustrations, I think, of this idea of bearing one another's burdens is in the famous story, Pilgrim's Progress. I'm sure many of you have read Pilgrim's Progress and you're familiar of the main character, Christian, who's literally bearing, uh, bearing a burden. He has a burden that's weighing him down. And there's no way that Christian gets to the celestial city without the many people who came alongside of him, people like evangelist or goodwill or faithful who came and helped bear his burden along the way. And that's what we're called to here in the Christian life. We're called to bear one another's burdens. And this is one of the ways that we engage one another here in the household of faith and encourage one another to keep going, to keep pressing on in the Christian life. That's number one on your outline. Now let's take a look at number two, sharing. Another way we engage with one another in the household of the faith, in the Christian life, is we share with one another. Let me read for you verses six through eight. Paul says, the one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. A couple things I want you to notice here. First of all, notice the repetition of the flesh and the spirit terminology. Again, Paul's explaining what it is to live out the fruit of the spirit and not the lust of the flesh that he laid out in chapter five. Again, chapter six of Galatians comes right after Galatians chapter five. So what is it to live out the fruit of the spirit? What Paul highlights here in this context is this idea of sharing. And specifically, notice what he says in verse six, the one who has taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Probably in the background, what's going on is we know that in the region of Galatia where these churches were, there were a lot of false teachers who came in and they were opposing the teaching of Paul. And most likely, they were encouraging the people in the churches there in Galatia to stop supporting Paul's ministry. You know, they were calling him a false teacher and saying, listen, don't support this guy. Don't give him your money. Um, he has no idea what he's talking about. Give your money to us. And so Paul here is, is subtly correcting that idea. And he says, listen, the one who has taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Here, Paul is specifically talking about supporting financially the ministry of teachers. And uh, again, this is something you do, right? Um, when you give to Grace Bible Church, uh, you give, thank you, and so that I don't have to have an outside job. I appreciate that very much. Uh, and you give and you support the ministry and uh, the pastors of this church um, so that we could teach uh, the word and, and do uh, our portion of the ministry. Uh, but I want you to notice something real important here. Again, verses seven and eight, Paul says, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. So what is Paul saying here? What Paul is saying, listen real carefully, is that somebody here in this room God is laying it on your heart to buy me a Lamborghini. <laughs> You're not supposed to laugh. Uh, 
No, really, that's not what Paul is saying, right? But that's how many uh, pastors, you know, prosperity gospel teachers have taken it. Like, if you invest your seed money into my ministry, then God's gonna bless you, right? That's not what Paul is saying here at all. Um, We know theologically, when Paul's using this language of spirit and the flesh and reaping eternal life, he's not saying that the more money you give to the church, uh, you're buying eternal life, right? Um, uh, We know that uh, the gospel, eternal life is free, that it costs us nothing because it costs Jesus everything. It cost him his life. And uh, I want to pause here and just remind you, for those of you here in the room, those of you watching online, that if you've not trusted in him, if you've not put your faith in him, right where you are, right where you're seated, uh, you can. And you can receive as a gift eternal life. You can receive as a gift the forgiveness of your sins. And it's not about buying it. It's not about, you know, dropping money in the offering plate so you're forgiven by God. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Uh, What Paul's referring to here is what we've mentioned in the last several weeks, this idea of the judgment seat of Christ. In these verses and in the verses that follow, Paul is looking ahead to the future. And what we sow in this life is going to reap eternal benefits, eternal blessings. And investing our life, investing our money, again, Paul's using this language of agriculture. When a farmer plants wheat, he reaps wheat, right? And when we sow from the flesh, we're going to reap corruption. When we sow to the spirit, we're going to reap things of eternal value and of eternal nature. But what's on the line here is not our salvation. I want to be crystal clear about that. Um, But what Paul is saying is that we're to invest our resources for eternity. And that's really what he's getting at. And as again, as a reminder of what we mentioned a few weeks ago, um, I'm amazed at the generosity of this church. That uh, when we look at the 2021 budget, I mean, you gave uh, close to two and a half million dollars and invested that into uh, hopefully what is our eternal significance, eternal ministries. And that's just the money you gave here at Grace. I know many of you give to missionaries and ministries outside the walls of this church and praise God for that. Um, Historically, Christians are very generous people. And uh, it's truly amazing when you think about it. And I do wanna say too, uh, that it's not only about giving big checks. Uh, We don't depend on any one person who bankrolls the majority of the budget. It's done by a lot of people who give faithfully, uh, proportionally to their income week in and week out. And so thank you for that. Uh, That's one of the ways we fulfill here what Paul is saying of engaging with the household of God by sharing with one another. So that's number two on your outline. Now let's take a look at number three. And this is really kind of a summary statement here of Paul. I think verses nine and 10, this idea of caring, really summarize everything Paul has said thus far. Verses nine and 10, Paul says, let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Again, these verses, I think, are are kind of summary verses. Explaining what it is to live out the fruit of the Spirit, 
as we bear one another's burdens, as we uh, give, as we share. But here, Paul kind of summarizes it and says, let us not lose heart in doing good. Again, think about it. As, as we go out of this service, as we all are sent out on mission by God to engage with people week in and week out, day after day, as we uh, do good in the fallen world around us, you're gonna get discouraged. You're gonna grow weary. It's inevitable because the world has fallen and it's tough out there. But notice what Paul says. He says, do not lose heart in doing good. For in due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. That expression for growing weary, one commentator says it describes a bow string that's no longer tight. Or maybe a more contemporary example would be a guitar string that's no longer in tune. It just falls flat, right? And I'm sure if you've been out engaging people in the world, as you tried to share your faith or do good, you felt like a out-of-tune guitar string, right? It's easy to just kind of lose heart, to get discouraged. Um, there's no power, there's no encouragement. But notice the promise Paul says here in verse 9. He says, don't lose heart in doing good. Why? Because in due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. The reason we can keep at it week in and week out, even as we go out into the world and get beat up a little bit, the reason we come back here is because in due time, Paul says. I love that phrase, in due time. We don't know when. It may not be this side of eternity, right? It may be the other side of eternity, what eventually God is gonna bring to fruition what we invest for him now. Paul says, in due time, you will reap if you do not grow weary. And then real practically, summarizing it all, notice the phrase, verse 10, so then, here he's kind of, bringing it all to a head and, and, and summarizing everything in one verse. So then, while we have opportunity, Paul says, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Let us do good to all people, Paul says. And in the Next few weeks, we're going to talk about doing good in the sense of evangelism and local outreach and global missions. But right now, we're talking about doing good and engaging with one another here in the body of Christ. To prepare us to go be sent out into the world, Paul says, do good to all, especially to those of the household of the faith. We've got to be taking care of one another. We've got to be engaging with one another, bearing, sharing, and caring with one another here in the body of Christ. And again, think about this. Uh, the ultimate vision, the ultimate direction Paul is headed here and that I've been presenting to you for the last few weeks is that uh, when, when we stand before the Lord and give an account in due time, I hope that every person in this room hears those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And as we move towards that vision, we get equipped with God's truth week in and week out, so we go and engage people with the goodness of God and we come back together every week and exalt God for who he is and what he's doing. 
but it's gonna get hard. It'll be challenging. As the world gets crazier and crazier, we're gonna need to depend on one another more and more to bear with one another in our sin, in our burdens and challenges, to share with one another the resources that God has given us, and ultimately to care for one another in very specific ways. Like I said earlier, Paul says there in verse two, bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ really boils down to that idea of love. And in Galatians chapter five, right before this chapter, Paul says the fruit of the spirit is love. Love. Jesus says in John 13, by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. If you were to summarize everything Paul is saying here, he doesn't use the word love here in these verses, but that's certainly the idea, that we're called to love one another. That's how we engage with one another in the body of Christ. Probably my favorite um, writing on this idea of love and Christian love is from the 1970s. Francis Schaeffer wrote a piece entitled The Mark of a Christian, The Mark of a Christian. And he says that Christ gave us, the church, the mark to wear before the world and the mark of a Christian is love. He says that Jesus gave us the mark that will arrest the attention of the world. That our love, the love we extend to one another is the mark of a Christian, that this is the way, again, Jesus says in John 13, that the world knows that we are his disciples by our love for one another. And listen, I won't speak for you, I'll just speak for myself. That is incredibly convicting to me. It's incredibly convicting to me when I think about the way that I've not loved brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. As I look specifically even in the last couple of years as things got super tense, right, in our culture and how often we allowed the infighting to come inside the church walls and we were known for our disagreements and division and arguing and church splitting and all of that rather than for the love that God in Christ has called us to. It's incredibly convicting to me. Francis Schaeffer, he says that love is the final apologetic. It's the defense for which there is no defense. That at the end of the day, people can argue with us, but the one thing they can't deny is our love at least if we live it out according to what we see here. So what does this look like in terms of application? We've seen Paul throw out this challenge of bearing for one another, sharing with one another, caring for one another, but what does it really look like in the nitty gritty? Uh, first of all, the, the thing I wanna lay before you is that I know there are people in this room that, that need help. Man, you're shouldering a burden that you know you can't carry. Uh, let us know. Uh, It's our delight as pastors, as elders, to come alongside you and to help you. After every service, we have elders available in the front to pray for you, to help bear those burdens with you. And so uh, please uh, let those those struggles be known to us, and we're glad to help you. Uh, Secondly, we know that there are some of you who are in financial need. I highlighted this a couple weeks ago that Uh, $65,000 last year was invested into our HELPS Fund ministry. Uh, That's incredible that all of us uh, shouldn't be ashamed when we need help, even financially. And if you have need, please let us know. Uh, 
But your one thing for this week is this. At the top of your outline, uh, I want to challenge you to engage a fellow Christian this week by bearing, sharing, or caring for them. And to just think about and pray about how you might engage with somebody here in the body of Christ at Grace. Maybe it's a phone call, a meal, a note, or something like that. And I'll tell you, just from personal experience, um, the number of times I feel like God has laid somebody on my heart throughout the week. And sometimes I ignore it, unfortunately. But sometimes you just pick up the phone and you call somebody and say, hey, God's been putting you on my heart this week. Is everything okay? And sometimes everything's fine, but sometimes someone opens up to you. And that's how God, I think, by his spirit, weaves these ideas together as we're uh, intimately connected with one another here in the body of Christ. And so God lays somebody on your heart. Uh, I'd encourage you to just reach out to him this week. Again, I love stories, and so let me share a couple stories with you. But a few weeks ago, Han and I had lunch with some good friends of ours. And uh, these particular people, they didn't grow up in the church. They came to Christ in their mid-20s, and so they didn't grow up in our church culture. They weren't used to some of the things we do as Christians. And uh, we were talking to this couple friend of ours about when they first came to Christ. They, they had a major life event. I think they had a baby. And what stood out to the wife in those early days of her being a Christian, is that when they had a baby, strangers, people she hardly knew, showed up to her house with food, <laughs> right? Because that's what we do as Christians. When someone has a baby or someone's going through a hard time, we bring food to them. I, I don't think there's a verse in the Bible that says, you know, thou shalt bring casseroles, but that's what we do. <laughs> um, we, we extend love to one another uh, with food. And it's fantastic. I'm not making fun of that at all. Uh, many of you in this room, when Han and I had our fourth child, you brought food to us. And at this point, I think it's a pretty good strategy of just staying fed. Every time the cupboards get bare, I'm just gonna encourage Hannah to have another baby. Um, <laughs> but um, but this, the, my point is, it's such an easy, tangible expression of love. But for this new believer, that was the thing that stood out. A simple act of love, kindness, generosity, of service is what stood out to her as the mark of a Christian. And uh, it's a huge blessing uh, when God lays those things, those opportunities on our heart and it ultimately will one day bear fruit. To close, one more story uh, for you that I think illustrates this quite well is in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the third movie, The Return of the King. You'll remember that Frodo is at his wit's end. He cannot go a step further. And Frodo would not succeed at destroying the ring if it were not for Sam. And there's a beautiful scene at the near the end of the third movie where um, Sam comes up to Frodo and he says, listen, I can't carry it for you, referring to the ring, but I can carry you. I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. And that's ultimately what we're called to here in the body of Christ. This is not our story. We don't do these things to make a name for ourselves but we do these things as an extension of Jesus' story. 
of living lives that are transformed into his image as we as the church are commissioned by him to bear with one another, to share with one another, to care for one another. And that's what we see here. Let me pray. Father, thank you uh, for the great privilege it is to be a part of the body of Christ. Uh, Thank you for the gift of the church. And Father, we confess that we can't do this on our own. Uh, Certainly, we can't do it without you. But also, we can't do it without our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so help us, Father, as we have opportunity, week in and week out, I pray that you would help us to bear one another's burdens, uh, to share our sins and our struggles with one another so we can pray for one another and encourage one another. I pray that you would help us uh, in material, tangible, financial ways to love one another and to care one another, ultimately to fulfill the law of Christ, the law of our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.